One of the contrasting images that we find over and over and over again in God's Word is that of light and darkness. And in God's Word, darkness is often used to uh, portray evil and sin and a corresponding sense of hopelessness that results from it. On the flip side of that, light is often used to display guidance and knowledge and hope. And it's this time of year that we remember and celebrate the one who is the light of the world. We celebrate the birth of Christ as the light of the world. For he is the true light that has come into the world to overcome darkness and to to provide the way that we might have eternal life in and through him. In fact, God's word is, is clear in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, stating, God said, let light shine out of darkness. This God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of of Christ For those who know Christ, who've repented of sin and turned to Christ, receiving the abundant and eternal life that Christ offers, have seen the light of the knowledge of God's glory in and through Jesus Christ. And this message, this good news, this gospel is the message that, that we as the church gather to proclaim and to hear and to remember every time we come together, but we especially remember God's gift of salvation coming to us as we celebrate Christmas this time of year. And this is a message that no one would have seen coming. This is a message that no one could have expected apart from from God making it known because the message of the gospel, the message of God coming to us is so counter to our natural selfish inclinations. Like a unexpected gift that we're given, we ought to be surprised by the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For kings don't normally take up residence among common people. What is more, men don't normally die in the place of other people, for other people, that they might be forgiven, that they might have life, that they might experience joy. Whenever anyone comes to to faith in Christ, there ought to be an element of joy, an element of rejoicing, for that is what the redeemed people of God do when they realize that they are part of God's redeeming purposes and plans. And it's for this reason that C.S. Lewis, a great author, described his own coming to Jesus experience as being surprised by joy. And it's this joy that is our focus this morning as we open God's Word together. So let me invite you to open the scriptures with me, to look with me in God's Word at the Old Testament book of Isaiah. We'll be in Isaiah chapter 9 this morning once again as, as we focus on the coming of the Messiah, the birth of the Messiah, and the subsequent joy that comes to the people of God through the Messiah. By way of review from last week, Isaiah was a prophet that prophesied during the latter half of the 8th century B.C., before, during, and after the time that the Assyrians came in and invaded the northern kingdom of Israel, ultimately leading to the collapse of Israel in 722 B.C. 
So this was a dark day in Israel's history. It's a dark time, a gloomy time, a difficult time, a time of hardship. And it's in that context, in that time, that God speaks through Isaiah to his people, saying that there is a better time coming. There's a Messiah coming, and through him, all of God's people will experience unending joy. So let me invite you to look with me at Isaiah chapter 9 as you find your your place there. Please join me standing for the reading of God's Word. Isaiah chapter 9, I'll begin reading in verse 1. And there we read, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, He will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. And every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Father, would you guide us now as we seek to understand your word and to be better informed on what it is that you have done for us and the way that you call us to live. So lead us now by your spirit as we look at your word. And it's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. This will only hurt for a second. That's a line that nurses often use before they stick you with a needle in your arm. And though it helps to know that the pain won't last forever, it doesn't diminish the pain in that moment. But sometimes it's only in the midst of pain and difficulty that we see the goodness of circumstances without that pain. Sometimes it takes a a difficult circumstance in order to see the goodness apart from that difficulty. And to a certain extent, that is what God is telling his people right here through Isaiah. He is saying that hardship is coming. The Assyrians are coming in and they are going to take over. They are going to ransack your nation. You are going to experience difficult times. You're going to experience suffering. Many of you will be in exile. But but don't worry because this is not the end. A better time is coming. Joy is coming. Your nation's going to fall, but there's a better day ahead. Essentially, this is what Isaiah is saying in verse 1. He says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, these two northern tribes that especially felt the heavy hand of the Assyrians. But in the future, God will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. In other words, people and tribes are going to face hardship Many of them already facing hardship, but a better day is coming. A day of joy and honor and gladness will come. And church, based upon the word of God here and elsewhere, we can confidently say this morning that darkness and despair are temporary for God's people. Darkness and despair are are temporary for God's people. There is much darkness, much suffering, much despair, much hardship in this life. But according to the word of God, these things are temporary temporary for the people of God. One of the most fascinating things about 
these few verses to me is the assurance with which the prophet Isaiah speaks. He's speaking of a future day, yet he speaks with such certainty, with such assurance, with such confidence of what is coming for the people of God. Speaking in a hard time, telling the people of Israel that that a people who have a reputation of being far more wicked than they are going to carry out God's judgment on them for their disobedience, faithlessness before God. Not only are they going to face difficulty, but a wicked pagan people are going to bring that about on their lives. It's similar to what we see today in the media, in the world today, where ISIS is attacking people. Ruthless, the wicked, the evil seem to be winning. Yet God tells His people here that even so, there is coming a glorious day in the future. And if you are my people, then you will experience that day. And He uses past tense verbs to describe future events. In verse 2, He says, The people walking in darkness today, the people in darkness today, they've seen a great light already. When those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. In the greater context of God's Word, we know that this light represents the Messiah. This light represents the Savior who would come and redeem His people. And This has not yet taken place. Now we know that that Savior has now come, but in the day that Isaiah is prophesying, hundreds of years before the Christ come, and Isaiah is saying with certainty that this is going to come about, that this will take place. And I wonder, church, how often we as people of faith live with such assurance of what is yet to come for us based upon the Word of God. Isaiah is saying, because, because God has said this is going to be the case, this will come about. You can take that to the bank. But how often do we live like that? How often do we walk and talk and think and interact and approach day-to-day tasks and activities as if we recognize the glorious day that is coming for all of God's people. Let me be the first to say that I am so guilty of getting wrapped up in the trivialities of today. Being consumed with the small tasks at hand. This time of year we're so caught up in the hustle and bustle of Christmas and all the things we've got to do and the people we've got to see before December 25th. How would it change our approach? How would it change our daily living if we had a continual reminder and assurance of Christ's return, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is coming again and will gather all God's people to be with Him and to experience His kingdom for all of eternity. The reality is that darkness and despair are commonplace in this world. They're everywhere. You don't have to look far to see circumstances of darkness and despair, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, has come. And He has overcome darkness. He has overcome sin and death. And this same Christ is coming again. And though we don't, we don't feel the full ramifications of what He's accomplished for us today, on that day when Christ returns, we will experience the full ramifications of who He is and what He has done as King, as Savior, as Lord, when He gathers His people who will experience no more darkness, no more despair, no more pain, no more hardship, no more suffering, no more death. Christ is coming again and 
Because he is coming again, difficulties that we encounter and face in this life are, are merely temporary. And may it be true of us as a people, may it be true of us as a church that the admonition of Paul to the Philippian Christians in Philippians chapter 4 verse 4 would be a reality in our lives that we would rejoice before the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always, church. I'll say it again, rejoice. We have every reason to rejoice day after day after day because of what Christ has done for us. And this experience of unending joy that Isaiah sees through this prophetic vision is what what leads him to go on and to enter into a time of praise in Isaiah chapter 9. Church, the Messiah provides permanent joy leading to exuberant praise. The Messiah provides permanent joy for people of faith in Him which ought to lead His people to exuberant praise, to praising Him for He is worthy and He is is good. And we see this shift in what Isaiah writes here between verses 1 and 2 and verse 3. Verses 1 and 2, you'll notice that he's, he's describing something. He's describing this joy that's coming. There will be no more gloom. In the future, God will honor The people walking in darkness have seen this great light. And then all of a sudden in verse 3, he shifts and goes into a direct address, no longer describing what is going to come about, but directly addressing God as the one who is worthy of our praise, as the one who provides the circumstances in our lives that we might be filled with joy. He says in verse 3, You, God, you have enlarged the nation and increase their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. This is language of abundance. This is language of victory. No longer speaking of a small remnant of people who would experience God's redeeming plan, but speaking of a great multitude. You've enlarged the nation. And according to the book of Revelation, we know that that nation is filled with people from every nation on this earth. And just as the farmer rejoices at a harvest, Isaiah is saying the people of faith in the Messiah will rejoice at the abundant life that Christ offers us. And just as warriors rejoice at the spoils of battle, Isaiah is communicating that people of faith in Jesus Christ will rejoice at the victory that Christ has brought about on our behalf, defeating sin and death and the grave for us. And then the following verses, verses 4 through 7, tell us why such exuberant praise of God is appropriate. Firstly, we praise God because God breaks human oppression. God breaks human oppression. That's verse 4. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Isaiah's prophecy was previously stated, coming in a difficult time, a difficult circumstance. Prophecy would have seemed impossible in that day. After all, Israel was a weak and defeated nation. The Assyrians were a mighty and powerful nation. So for that very reason, God speaks through Isaiah, reminding His people of another time in their history. A time when the Midianites were defeated. When thousands upon thousands of thousands of Midianites Warriors were defeated by a small army of 300 soldiers led by Gideon. Clearly a 
example of Christ's intervention, of God's power being exercised in a difficult situation. God breaks human oppression. And though this world is often dark, where people in this life often experience injustice, God is a God who breaks human oppression. And we see here that God is a God who eliminates human fighting. God breaks human oppression. We see in verse 5 that God eliminates human fighting. Verse 5, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood. These are things that are used in battle. Armor used in battle will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. Church, the reality is that there is no God like our God. There's no God like the God of Scripture, that He is worthy of praise, that He is the sovereign King, that He has no match, that He has no equal. And as we saw last week from Isaiah chapter 9, that He is the source of all peace. And because God is in control and because He is a God of peace, His eternal kingdom will be a kingdom of peace that is forever enjoyed by His people. God breaks human oppression. God eliminates human fighting. And third and finally, we see here that God sends a Savior. God sends a Savior. This is, we see this in verses 6 and 7 as this, we read this prophecy of this Messiah who was to come. We won't spend a lot of time there. It's just the primary focus of our message last week. But verse 6, For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Church, God has come to us on a rescue mission that by his grace we might be saved from the predicament that we're in that we might be restored to right relationship with Him, that we might experience abundant life in and through Jesus Christ, that we might be the recipients of eternal life, forever enjoyed in the presence of our Maker. And this Savior is coming again. He will return to gather His people to be with Him for all of eternity. And because God is trustworthy, His Word is true. And because His Word is true, we can joyfully celebrate the certainty of Christ's coming kingdom. Though we face difficulty, though we face hardship, though we face and see darkness and despair in this life, we can celebrate with certainty Christ's coming kingdom. Friends, are you part of His kingdom? Have you recognized that Jesus Christ... The baby who we celebrate at Christmas is King. That He is Lord of all. That He is over all. Have you turned to Him and acknowledged Him as Lord, repenting of your sin and forever vowing, vowing to live for Him? Have you been surprised by the joy of not only Christ coming to us, through the incarnation, God made flesh. But have you been surprised by the joy of salvation offered to you personally through Jesus Christ our Lord? If you've seen the light of Christ, if you've recognized that Christ is the light, 
vowed to follow Him, then based on the Word of God this morning, let me continually urge you to walk in the light of Christ. As people of faith in the God of Scripture, as followers of Jesus Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the church, let's walk in the light of Christ. We live in a dark world. Live in a world of evil and suffering. That Christ has come to us and shown us the way, providing the light that we might know how to live and who to live for, forever following after Him. Walk in the light of Christ. And secondly, let's pray that the light of Christ penetrates darkness. As believers in the One who is the light of the world, let's pray that the light of Christ would continually penetrate darkness. We know that God is sovereign over all, and His Word tells us that people from Every nation, tribe, people, and language will come to follow Him, will be surrounding His throne for all of eternity. His his message has spread and is spreading and will continue to spread, but He invites us as His followers to participate in the spread of that message. And one of the ways that He calls us to participate in His plans is to pray that His light would continually penetrate darkness. Let's pray that the light of Christ would penetrate darkness this Christmas. Christmas 2015, let's pray that masses would come to to know and to follow the Savior for the very first time. Let's pray that the light of Christ would penetrate darkness in our own families, in our own homes, in our neighborhoods, in this community, in this city, and ultimately across this world for the glory of God. Let's walk in the light of Christ. Let's pray that the light of Christ would penetrate darkness. And third and finally, let's praise the light of the world. Let's praise the one who is the light. Let's praise the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we have opportunity, church, to do that now. As we respond to to who God is, as we respond to His Word, as He's made Himself known, let's join together in praising Him, for He is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our praise. Let's celebrate the certainty of Christ's coming kingdom together now. Father, we we thank You that You are on the throne. We thank You that You are over all, that that You are King. And Father, though we see darkness and despair, difficult circumstances all around us, experience turmoil and tragedy in this life, we know that You are King. Lord, and that Your kingdom is a kingdom of peace and Your kingdom will be filled with people who know the joy that comes in and through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So, Father, would You receive our praise this morning. May this room be filled with joyous praise before a God who is worthy. Lord, lead us now as we respond to you, for you are worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.